Welcome to the Build My Online Store podcast, where we discuss everything and anything about running an online store. If you like the podcast, sign up for the mailing list to get news and updates at buildmyonlinestore.com. And now, here's your host, Terry Lynn. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Build My Online Store podcast. I'm your host, Terry, and today is our 10th episode, huge milestone for the show. Thank you for all the feedback and support. Uh, do leave an iTunes review if you enjoy the show, or just shoot me an email. Uh, I can answer your questions about e-commerce. And so before we start, we also have another iTunes review from Tyler Fisk. Uh, I can't tell you how happy I am to have stumbled upon your podcast. I've been looking for a very long time for a podcast geared towards e-commerce businesses. As an e-commerce business owner myself, I find this show extremely informative and entertaining. My wife and I have already blazed through your first nine episodes and are eager to hear what else you have in store. Well, thank you so much, Tyler. And if anyone else is an e-commerce business owner, please do leave a review. If you leave your business name, I'll obviously give you a shout out on the show and you'll get your name out. Right, today I'm joined by Bill Keith, president of Perfect Foods Bar, where he's going to talk about how he bootstrapped his organic foods business to where it is today. What's up, Bill? Good, good. How you doing? Yeah, not bad. Uh, so let me just give you a quick background on how I found you. So I saw you on uh, Mixergy first, and then I think there's a snippet where you mentioned you guys were on Shopify, and I was like, oh, hey, I got to get you on the show, because I've been interviewing a lot of Shopify owners on their businesses, so I thought it would be... That'd be good to hear your story too. All right, so let's just kind of get started. So on Mixergy, I think you did it in early 2001, right? Yes, yes. It was, uh, oh, actually not 2001. It was 2010, 2010. Oh, wow. So it's, so it's been a while. And I remember you mentioned your revenues were 2.2. Uh, what are they at now? Yeah, they're they're right around four to four and a half. And it, uh, we've got a ton of new accounts nationwide in the U.S. that's uh, going to push that even higher. So um, we're on an extremely fast growth rate. And this is, out, this is without uh, any big backing of any type of financial investor or venture capitalist. This is just bootstrapped. It's, it's exciting. It, when you grow this way, it's, it's pretty tough because you got to really pay attention to cash flow. Make sure that you, you know, don't go out on a limb. It's important to take risk, but you can't take risk on um, things that could potentially jeopardize your business. You know? So you have to take calculated risk. Yeah. And so we'll, we'll go into the backstory of how you first started in a bit. So just from 2010 to now, what have been the real big growth drivers in the past two years? Yeah, I would say the biggest one for us is the organic industry is on a 10% growth uh, rate right now. Gluten-free products, high-protein fr- products, different different bars that are like meal replacements, they're on a really fast growth rate in the U.S. and worldwide. And what it's doing for us is we plugged into that core uh, demographic that's looking for those different items. And because of that, we've I feel like it's been a lot of natural growth. If you look at the conventional side of the industry, it's at a three percent, less than two, yeah, two to three percent growth rate. So plugging into a growing trend is really important. And I think this is a sustainable trend because if you look at the last 10 years, it, it continues to go up. Yeah, and especially I think now the big trend is where people are very concerned of what they eat in terms of the transparency of where all the food comes from. 
You're exactly right. The timing was perfect. Um, the kind of product is something you can use daily as a, a meal supplement and a way to get protein for, um, you know, you're going on different uh, athletic uh, events or you're going for a workout and you need that protein to uh, rebuild your muscles after tearing them down and is the kind of supplement that people are looking for. So I don't need to drink a protein shake before I go work out. I could, it's much better to have a bar, right? Well, you know, both are good, but the bar, what the bar has that's an advantage on a lot of other supplements and products is it has the organic honey sweetener. Um, that's one of the main components that separates us from any other bar on the market. With that organic honey, you have more of a sustained uh, long-lasting energy burst rather than the just the up and down sugar high they call it from the fructose or some of the simple sugars so um, it's a very expensive ingredient we have to source oh my goodness just the the price and the sourcing it, it takes us everywhere throughout the United States and the world but it's worth it because our again our consumers care about what they put in their body and they want that energy where they don't feel like they're compromising like some of the you know, Red Bull or, you know, energy drinks or whatever it is, um, you know, sometimes people feel like they're compromising a little bit where um, with our products, you know, they, they feel like it's a natural energy energy source where, uh, you know, that'll be long lasting. Yeah, I see. And so how are the bars made right now? Um, they're all handmade. And base, that's a big part of, you know, our production. And uh, they're, they're made in handmade facility in San Diego. It, it's very tedious. It's very time consuming. But we have to do that because the way the bar is made, it, um, we, we put all your oils and proteins together and we don't use emulsifiers. That's why we're actually in the refrigerators. We don't use soy lecithin. We stay away from the soy. And because of that, the bar is actually doesn't have binders, so it has to be kept cold. It doesn't have any of those stabilizers that the other bars have to keep you know shelf stable. So it's one of our key components in, in the consumers that you know, really appreciate the purity of the product, appreciate that it's handmade and it, it takes a little bit longer and it's a little more costly to make. But um, we're, we're finding that people are willing to pay a little bit extra to have the quality. All right. And soy, soy lecithin went way over my head. Can you just talk about what that is? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so soy lecithin, yeah, soy lecithin is what you're going to find in a ton of different products on the shelf today. It's a binder, it's an emulsifier that basically binds the oils and proteins together and keeps the product shelf stable. Um, because we don't add those uh, stabilizers in our product, it needs our bar is kept in the refrigerated section. It has a long shelf life in the refrigerated section, but it, it's more of an impulse buy. It lasts outside of the fridge for a couple of weeks and doesn't actually spoil. It's just it starts to lose form because it doesn't have those binders. Oh, so is this like when I buy like a granola bar off the shelf? Yeah, that it kind of it kind of stays in that form no matter how I throw it around. Mm -hmm. Yep. Oh, I see. I see. So naturally, the bar wouldn't be that hard unless it had this material in it. You're exactly right. That's why it's kept refrigerated. It doesn't have those uh, binders and those those different uh, you know what we call emulsifier to uh, hold the bar in shape. I see. Because I always wonder when you buy granola by itself, it never. It's never like as hard as a chunk as when you buy the bar. So, okay, so now it makes sense. Absolutely. You're wondering, yeah, you know, a lot of people are like, how did they get all this, you know, get these ingredients to just bind together so well? It's those binders. So let's move back a little bit. Let's move way back to when you first started. Uh, how did you get the idea and where did it all come from? Yeah, well, my dad was a nutritionist. Um, you know, I grew up, uh, I'm the oldest of 13 kids, and I grew up eating super healthy, no sugar, no junk of any sorts. And you know, growing up that way, it, it was it had a profound effect on me and my family. 
Um, we would go from city to city. My dad actually lived in a bus <laughs> and uh, we traveled from, you know, state park to state park, uh, state park, and just really got taught the principles of health and, and, and just the living that goes with it. And my dad would lecture at different venues about nutrition. He'd make you know, several different products for years. He'd make uh, different products that he'd sell to different companies. And um, finally, he decided, okay, you know, this is a product and this is it. back then, um, he used to make this bar for us, you know, just in his uh, little kitchen in the bus. We used to share amongst uh, all of us. And there was a lot of concoctions that he came up with that didn't taste too good. But <laughs> so he experimented with all 13 of you on his recipes. Yes, yes. I mean, what, what a great group to experiment with. You know? you know, all of us loved it. And so growing up, I, um, you know, went to college and we came to a pivotal time where my dad, um, you know, he actually got pretty sick. Uh, he, he got skin cancer and, uh, you know, it was a time for the family to come together and see, okay, what are we going to do financially to, you know, keep the ship going? And, uh, at that time there was a lot of young kids at the house. And, uh, so I dropped out of college and I came back to the family and, and said, okay, in order for us to, to make this new business uh, venture, we're going to actually have to sell our property. We had a little property and had a small amount of, uh, equity in it. You know, let's start making these these bars. Everyone says we should sell the stores. Let's start. You know, let's build a factory and make these bars ourselves and start taking it to market. Um, needless to say, you know, it, it was an idea that had its uh, mixed uh, reviews. You know, people weren't thrilled about it. Uh, my brothers and sisters, you know, it was mixed bag because it was a, a very big risk. Um, but I felt really confident about the product, and, and I felt confident in my dad's recipe. And I knew if we all work together, we can make it happen. So I finally got it passed through. Um, they said, all right, Bill, let's, let's, see if, uh, let's see if your crazy idea is going to work. So we started selling. I'll never forget, 2005, we started selling into a co-op, a local co-op in uh, Northern California. You know, my first pitch to the store was, you know, I was very nervous, you know, and came up there. We actually sold them in Ziploc bags at the time, you know, and... Uh, With and, no logo and nothing on it? Yeah, you know, <laughs> we had just like a... Microsoft Word font on there, <laughs> and uh, and you know, but you got to start somewhere. You got to learn. You know, can't be afraid to to make mistakes. That's a big one. And so I went out there, and you know, made a ton of mistakes. And the guy looked at me and said, uh, "You know, did you make this in your kitchen?" And uh, you know, so went back to the drawing board. You know, figured out what kind of packaging facility, all of that. We got it right. Came back again and started selling to that store. And with that one single store, you know, we were able to start capturing more stores around the area, just small co-ops. Now we're nationwide in all the Whole Foods. We're in uh, all the natural food stores pretty much nationwide. Uh, we sell to many gyms, uh, universities. Um, you know, just looking back, the, the big turning point for us was, um, you know, a couple years into it, we were thinking, boy, this... Uh, Maybe this plan wasn't the best idea. We were we were really strapped for cash. Um, you know, the business was just day to day. We we went to a few venues and a few um, uh, local events, and we happened to catch an eye of a local natural food chain buyer. You know, looked looked at the idea and said, you know what, I'll give you guys your big break, and gave us a break. You know, we only got one store at the time in this local chain, but in that store, we demoed that store for 30 days straight, did demonstrations in the store, because we were confident if we got that one store doing well, then he'd give us the rest of those stores, and sure enough, that's what happened. So the store did really well. He uh, called us back and said, my goodness, I, 
I wasn't expecting for the sales to be so good in that one store. We didn't tell them we demoed every day. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so how, how deep of a hole were you guys in just to give everyone an idea? Oh my gosh. We were a quarter million dollars in debt and you know, we, we took out every credit card you can imagine. It was, it was just, you know, we, we'd go into, you know, work every day. And back then it was just me and my brother and, uh, you know, a couple guys that, that to decide to help us for peanuts, literally, you know, we were, we were getting to a point to where, you know, it was, we're going to need to close down. It just, we tried, we did everything we could. And of course you, you know, you're thinking is, man, I squandered away our investment for my family. And, and there's a lot of, you know, thoughts that come in negatively to your head. And, and, you know, you just got to, my big philosophy back then was just like, we need to, we need to go ahead and go the full course. And if it doesn't work, it's not because we didn't do everything we could, you know, and sure enough, you know, and some companies don't get this break, but we got a break to where we got into a local chain. And from there, we literally, me and my brother made product at night and then sold it during the day. You know, we did this for a couple months and things started to really turn around. Of course, once you get established in a regional chain, then you can use that testimonial across America. And that, that's what happened. I mean, the last five, six years, it's just been building blocks of leveraging the accounts that we have. And it's been, you know, now, now we're doing very well. And it's been really uh, an amazing journey. <laughs> that's for sure. I see. And so, so let's break down the business model of working with chains. Like uh, when you do sampling, how do they decide, okay, we want you guys in the store? So basically, you have to go to a buyer because every chain usually has a uh, grocery buyer, a dairy buyer, whatever category that you're you're um, trying to get into. You go to that category buyer and you present information about the product, how it differentiates. Um, they don't want to see a product that's like something else. They want to see how it's different, how it's better. So you got to say show how it's better. You know what your niche is. Also, they really like our product. A lot of the dairy because we work in dairy because we're refrigerated. Many of these buyers like the product because it doesn't cannibalize from their other bar or other products in the set. It's not like it's a New York yogurt or a new milk that's going to uh, take sales away from other uh, products in the set. This is actually adding sales to their set. And, um, you know, a lot of dairy buyers like it because, you know, they're actually, if anything, they're taking away a little bit of sales from grocery from someone buying nether bars. And a lot of times the way these uh, uh, grocery chains are run is they're, they're all doing like a friendly competition between each other for their uh, set. Um, when you go in there and, and you mention how it's going to add sales to the set, you're going to supply demo support to the stores. You can run uh, frequent promotions. If it tastes good and it has all of that together, you're probably going to get a shot. And if you do, it's important that you act on it. You know, you can't you can't just get in the store and let the bar set. For us, it took a ton of um, just on the ground work going into these stores, handing out bars to the employees, handing out shirts, really making sure that you service that account to where they remember you. And I mean, ultimately, you're making friends. That's what you're doing. You're you're going across to each store, making these friendships to where they say. Okay, you know what? We like these guys. We're going to try to push their product. And when people come into their stores, consumers come into their stores, they're going to recommend if somebody asks for a bar, they're going to re recommend your bar because they, you know, they love the product themselves and they remember you. I see. And so the internal buyers. So if I'm selling dairy products, I would compete with like the fruit guy for more sales. So yeah, well, I mean, here's how it works. Basically, you have different departments in these stores. And they're all trying to increase their profitability and, and sales in their set, you know, in their department. 
And so what you're doing by adding a bar into the dairy department, and sometimes dairy and grocery are the same, and this doesn't work, but sometimes dairy and grocery are different. And if that's the case, dairy buyers love to, so to speak, steal the uh, the um, prospective uh, consumers going to the bar aisle to come into their area because it's just new sales for their set. Uh, and they could buy their products nearby too. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it just draws attention to their set and it doesn't cannibalize their other products. It's just adding new sales. Um, so in the, the way our item is, the way it's set up and the way it's made, you know, it, it takes a, the kind of clientele that's really health conscious, uh, cares about their body, and it just it draws people to that set, which is the, what the buyers like. So, and a lot of these other grocery buyers and, and, and buyers that um, are looking for foods that are doing very successful in uh, natural are looking to bring those items from natural over into uh, what's called traditional grocery. Um, so, if you're really successful in the natural food industry, um, you'll start getting some overflow and having grocery people start to uh, want you as well. I see, I see. And I understand grocery stores have, like, I guess they prioritize by shelf space. Like, I, I read an article where, like, if you're higher, you, you actually pay the grocery store more. Or is this is this true? Yeah. You know, some places, some grocery stores um, charge slotting fees where if you get a certain shelf space, they're going to actually charge the manufacturer for that space, you know, on top of what they automatically make. Um, you know, we we try to stay away from that. We try to stay away from stores that do that. Um, but, you know, basically, if, you're, if your item does really well with a certain amount of SKUs and you can show that if you increase your SKUs by double, it won't double the sales, but it'll actually exponentially triple or quadruple the sales, then they're going to start increasing your shelf space. That's where you see some items have just a ton of facing. You go, why do they need all that facing? It's because they've proven that with that facing, they can um, do a great amount of volume. And so this all the way boils down to your original sampling and how the turnout comes out to you, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so when I'm going sampling, like say I go to Costco or I go to some supermarket, usually what happens is they just hand me the food and kind of that's it. I see if I like it. If I don't like it, you know, I walk away. If I like it, maybe I'll look at it. But So what did you guys do differently that... Well, we did our own demos. That's the big one. Um, when you have, you know, and I've been fortunate, I've, I'm the oldest of 13, so I have, you know, three or four brothers and sisters that are out there doing demos that are really passionate about the bar. We, we do commission-based demos to where, you know, some of our reps, they actually, um, you know, they're territory managers and they do the demos themselves. So they're actually, you know, making finances when they, when they uh, sell these bars. So they're incentivized greatly. Um, I think the key with a successful demo is to incentivize your demonstrators. Um, you know, some some demonstrators, the way the companies are set up, it's just an hourly wage, and you know, if you if you sell a hundred or you sell one, it doesn't matter. We make sure and educate our demonstrators, and we we really that's sort of the key of our business model. We look for folks that are really enthusiastic about nutrition like the product and will push the product and don't let anybody pass without explaining what the product is to that consumer so that they can make a purchasing decision. Um, I agree, the worst demonstrator in the world is one that just cuts it up and doesn't say anything or just you know says hello. They need to educate that consumer in the brief amount of time that the attention span of that consumer has about the product and you know the ampler um, benefits. Yeah, and so you could also say since it was all your family members, you guys were really, really selling the story, too, behind the products instead of just handing it out. Absolutely. No, it's, I mean, this This story is a great story. You know, it's um, it's a family story. It's what, you know, people, 
you know, they know about, you know, they, they have convictions about their own family and working with their brothers and sisters. I think a lot of them, uh, a lot of consumers think, wow, how do the, this many brothers and sisters work together? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it is, it is. I think we have a real clear understanding of our roles and our position. Um, and, and that's important moving forward because, you know, as soon as you know, there's just so many things that can get in the way with family and business. And uh, we try we, we do our best to try to avoid it. And it's funny you hear a lot of startup stories where they just have, you know, three or four founders and it's such a huge mess. But you guys have 13 people and you're pulling four million plus a year. It's an amazing story. It, it, it's so it, it's really fun. And the fun part about it, too, is we have our mom at home and um, she still has a number of kids at home, smaller kids that are growing up. And you know, everybody's wanting to get involved with it now, you know, and I'm thinking, man, we, we don't have enough positions. <laughs> I guess they can be the, the, the roller, the mixer, you know, we, we, we got a number that's part of this hand making process is, is it just takes quite a bit of just labor to, to make this work. Yeah. So how have you scaled from say 2 million to 4 million, but you're still hand making all the bars. You know, that's the toughest part really it is, is the scalability. What we have to do is we just have to uh, hire more labor, uh, increase our efficiencies at different areas. And we're also looking at, you know, doing semi-automated to where it's, uh, you can have machines that do certain parts of it. But um, because the way our bar's viscosity is and because it doesn't have a binder, we can't put our product through extruders, the conventional way of making bars. Um, it literally has to manual pressing and rolling. And so we're, we're hoping to semi-automate that and uh, not do what we have been doing, which is just hiring more and more people because, you know, just the labor cost and the overhead cost is pretty high doing it that way. Okay. And so when you make the bars, do the retailers make you carry the inventory on your books or how does that work out in terms of the finance? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, we there's national distributors throughout the U.S., um, Unify, Tree of Life, um, you know, Nature's Best, Kehi, a number of um, uh, DPI, number of these national distributors that service all these stores. So what we do is we sell in bulk to these national distributors. They pay us simply in net 10 or net 30 days, and then they handle the inventory that goes to these stores, and the stores purchase from those distributors. So that's how that works. So how do you get new flavors? I noticed you guys have, I think, six or seven now on the website. We Yeah, we have five flavors now, and we're looking at expanding to mini bars that are literally 100-calorie bites. Now, we have a lot of convenience stores and, and different Jamba juices and such that the mini bars, 100-calorie bites for like a $0.99, cent, $1.19 item is just be perfect. It's a, a little additional protein bite to the drink or whatever they're getting. Um, so we're adding on those. We're also adding on a new um, almond flavors. So there's going to be eight total flavors um, in the next year. Gotcha. And so how did you decide on like almond? Oh, the almond. I mean, the, a lot of the consumers that we work with, um, you know, they have mixed feelings about peanuts. Uh, we, we go for or we purchase rather uh, low alpha toxin peanuts. I mean, we, we source the best peanuts possible. But some people have uh, allergy issues with peanuts, you know, so we make an almond version. We have all of our line clearances and stuff, and we do allergy testing to make sure that it's clear of any peanut residue. And then we do, uh, and then we make almond uh, butter bars. And, and I tell you, that was our last flavor that we've made, and it is just, it's been gangbusters. It already accounts for 25% of our total sales. Um, and we're going to actually make an almond light bar coming up, which, um, 
which is going to be another huge hit because it's going to be a low calorie almond version. I see. So I assume you guys test the flavors within the family, right? Well, that's it. I mean, you know, <laughs> we've before we come out with the product, we um, we test it among the family, you know. And if the family likes it, and, and you know, a lot of my staff likes it, we'll give it serious consideration. And then um, once it passes that test, then we'll start doing a little bit of research at different events and stuff to see if the consumer likes it. And if all of those are a win-win, then we'll put it to market. I see. And the good thing is you have 13 siblings. So how big is the age range, age range span? Oh, yeah. Well, it goes from uh, it goes from 11 all the way to um, I'm 29. So that's oh, perfect. Um, yeah. Talk about <laughs> a, great, a great core of, uh, you know, you have the kids, you have the, you know, the young adults, and then you have the you know middle aged low to middle aged people. And then we also have some older um, gentlemen in the corporation. So we're able to reach a wide variety of people. And uh Again, you know, if if I'm looking and everyone likes it, they have to give me their honest opinion. Then, you know, I I tell you, it's been it's been great with the last two flavors that we've launched. We've had a general consensus of these are going to be winners, and sure enough, it, the you know the consumers um, have matched that. That's amazing because you could give each sibling to give it to ten friends, and you instantly have a hundred people it's, that give you feedback. It's a great little research group. <laughs> 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 All right, so into the sourcing organic products, I understand there's a certification for certain foods, right? Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. You know, being certified organic, you have to look for certified organic products, you know, across the U.S. And uh, it's tough. I mean, you know, you have market fluctuations. You have uh, sometimes the, you know, literally inventory runs out. And so we're constantly trying to source products throughout the U.S. and throughout the world, you know, the highest quality products. And, um, you know, that's part of our mission is to, you know, is the research aspect of it. Um, you know, always tinkering with new ideas, always tinkering with new products and, and flavors and, and seeing if, um, you know, something would make sense to add to our new product line. I see. And so the certification is from the raw material, not the end bar, right? Yeah, well, it's actually both. So we're certified. So they, so the, you know, there's a number of certifiers throughout the U.S., you know, you have uh, QAI, you have OTCO. These are certifiers that enforce the government ruling on organic policy, you know. And, and uh, so they're coming into our factory and uh, they're doing a full inspection to make sure that we're putting in our products the way what we've said. And then also the suppliers have to get their certificates. So, you know, the farmers, the shellers, the whatever, you know, the ingredient is. They have to be certified, so we have to collect all these certifications to make sure that they're current and up to date. And then also we get certified as well. So all the way through the chain, all the way to the end user, if you're getting a certified organic product, it's it's been researched fully. And so who is your typical customer? I'm sure you have a profile since you've been in business so long. Absolutely, absolutely. Our typical customer is, I mean, we, we try to appeal to the moms just because uh, the moms are the buying power of uh, America, you know, and we still have the moms um, purchasing uh, the food for the families are going into the stores. Uh, we're looking for health conscious uh, consumers. We're looking for the educated consumers so that they understand the value that we're putting out there. If, if they don't understand the value, they're going to say, oh, you know, this is a bar that's, uh, you know, 30, 40 percent higher than other products. Why would I purchase this product? You know, so you have to understand the quality. Um, the cost of our product is so high for us making it. So we actually make uh, less of a margin than a lot of those other bar companies just because, you know, but we're, we still try to squeeze the cost down to make it affordable. Um, but yeah, we're looking for the educated, the health conscious, the mothers, uh, they, you know, preferably athletic um, because they can use it on their runs 
or uh, after their workouts. And, um, and then also we have sort of a subgroup of, of the college kids. Uh, a lot of kids looking for quick meals on the go in between classes. We do really well in universities. And that's another group that we try to uh, target a little bit. I see. And have you found that you still need to do a lot of consumer education on the material or does the brand kind of carry itself now? Well, no, it's it's still, you know, I will say it's it's been a lot easier that once you give, you know, the attributes and sort of the functional benefits of the product, consumers know what you're talking about. But there is a lot of education. That's part of the demonstration process. You know, they say, okay, well, why do should I not eat soy lecithin or why should I you know, eat honey over fructose or, you know, why should I make these choices? And we can just give them, you know, a simple, here's the different options and here's the benefits of this option. And so there is a lot of education in the process and that's, you know, done through our website and um, through our demonstrations. And so I know you're also selling the bars online now? Yes, we are. And it's funny, our online site, it was just sort of a, a service for all the consumers that purchase at the local stores and then travel across America um, in different areas throughout the U.S., there's, you know, we'd, they'd have to drive a few miles in order to go to their nat- local natural food store to purchase our product. So we used it as a service to basically get those folks bars so they can purchase it online. Um, our pricing, we make sure our pricing is over what they charge uh, retail so that uh, the retailers don't get upset with us. We don't, we never try to undercut our retailers. In fact, we actually encourage uh, folks to go to their local stores. But it's used as a service for, you know, anybody looking to purchase our bars, you know, and they, they don't want to drive an hour to go to a natural food store. And that's then they have that option available. I see. That's what I was wondering is I was wondering, wouldn't the retailer say you're going to cut me out by selling direct? So, OK, if you sell it a little higher, I see that. makes That's sense. the key. That's the key. If you just make sure you're a little bit higher so that they can say, OK, this is just a service. Um, and again, with our website, the way it's set up right now, it's it's. You know, it was built by someone in-house. Um, you know, it's not polished out the way we want it. There's actually, we're actually going to go through a branding enhancement. Um, and that's one of our next projects this next six months. So our website's going to change pretty dramatically. Our, uh, our packaging's just going to be polished off. And there's going to be some pretty big changes because a lot of what you see on a website and our packaging is stuff that literally me and my brothers and sisters got with the designer and sort of did ourselves. And that's fine. It's worked great up till now. But now that we're a national brand, um, we're going to start polishing it off a little bit. I see. And have you found it difficult to find consumers B2C online versus B2B to retailers? Because in retailers, you can sample them in the store, right? But online, there's no way they can test it. So what are the challenges you've seen? We're, yeah, a lot of challenges. We're finding that because our website is you know, the way it is right now, which it's fine, but it's, it just hasn't been sort of polished off and being, and it's not super user friendly. Most of our sales, I'd say 90 plus percent of our sales is just from folks that have tried it at the stores and then, you know, want to purchase it online. Um, it's, you know, we've, we've seen a very small number of people that actually go to our website through hearing something, then purchase products without trying it, you know, so that's, it's been a big challenging or challenge for us. And, um, that's something that we're going to try to work on this next six months when we go through this brand enhancement. Yeah, that's a big thing with online shopping. Like the other day, I interviewed a lighting company, right? And they sell ceiling fans, and there's no way you could show people what it's like online, right? <laughs> You're exactly right. It's so you can't get, you can't visualize taste. You know, it's really tough to visualize how good it tastes. So, you know, consumers are, they, they look at the benefits, they look at the protein, gluten free, the uh, organic ingredients, and all that. 
And, you know, sometimes that, that makes a purchasing decision in their mind. Sometimes it doesn't. I mean, if you look, there's a number of websites that, you know, have great uh, functional benefits and all these things with their product, but you just, you know, consumers will be a little hesitant to buy because they don't know if, it, if it's going to be something that they'll just gag on. <laughs> yeah, so. exactly. Especially if they're buying a whole box of these. Exactly. It's, it's, a, it's a commitment. All right. And so I noticed there's a sweepstakes on your Facebook page. Can you just tell us the campaign, kind of how it worked out? Yeah. So when we were kids, it's funny. When we were kids, we used to like the Willy Wonka. Um, well, you we still do the Willy Wonka golden ticket. I enjoyed the movie. And, you know, we talked among ourselves. We said, you know, someday we're going to do our own version. You know, so we decided the golden sweepstakes. Obviously, we couldn't, you know, do the golden ticket, you know, but we decided we don't we don't want any um, attorney battles. That's for sure. But uh, we decided to launch this golden sweepstakes is our own version. It's been very successful. I mean, we've had um, a lot of people, you know, drive to the Facebook and the website and, uh, and yeah, the, the prize is a year supply of perfect food bars. And, uh, all it takes is a simple, you know, click to win or click to enter. You just go online and you, and it's real simple to enter and, uh, or we can send you, um, an application as well. No, obviously it's no purchase necessary. Um, but, um, yeah, it's been a really successful campaign and we're going to be doing this for the next, you know, six to eight months. So 20 boxes, how many are in each box? Eight bars. Nice. 160. Oh, perfect. Yeah. 160 <laughs> bars. And so how many people joined the sweepstakes? You know, I'm not, I don't have those numbers in front of me, but I believe it was quite a few. I, you know, I don't have those numbers. That'd, that'd be some, I'd have to, uh, talk to our, uh, tech guy. I'm curious because the, there was another story I interviewed. They gave away an iPad. Yeah. But they said it was good for emails and leads, but in terms of actual sales, it wasn't that good because everyone just wanted the iPad. So Well, and that's what we found too. It hasn't really increased our sales, but what it's done is just given us a, a big um, you know, list of emails for sure, contacts. And that always helps out in the future as leads. So, all right. And I know so on your Facebook page, you also have some uh, athletes that were just in the Olympics. Uh, how did you get the sponsorship with that? Yes. Oh, this is so neat. This is something that was that was really fun. We we do something called the Everyday Athlete, and we basically support these. You know, you, you can call in or write into our uh, into our uh, office here, and then explain a little bit of story about yourself and how you use the product as a part of your life. And you know, you've seen these different campaigns on TV about you know it's Everyday Athlete and find your own greatness. Well, with us. You know, it was a similar concept. We want to just support everyday athletes and, and, and nourish their lives and, and help them achieve their own personal goals. One of those athletes was, uh, you know, were some Olympians. And, um, you know, we, we helped support them, you know, during their process to get there. And they actually end up uh, winning some gold medals and stuff. So, yeah, just super, super excited about it and, and glad we could be a part of it. Nice. That your bar is helping out the Olympics. And, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And so did they reach out to you guys or did you reach out to them? Yeah, they reached out to us. You know, they said and they explained their story and, um, you know, what uh, what process they were in their, their journey to compete. And we're looking for stories and individuals that are real passionate about what they're doing. You know, we're obviously we can't um, give bars to everybody, but we look for those neat stories where we feel like it can have a real good impact in their lives. I see. Okay. And I see, uh, let's move into a little bit about shipping policy. I see there's $100 for free shipping. Like, kind of how did you come up with that number just in general? 
Yeah, because our products are refrigerated, there's a lot of costs associated with shipping the bars. So you have all the packaging material, you have the uh, little ice packs that we put in there. So in order for us to, to charge free shipping or to yeah waive the shipping charge, there needs to be a, a big enough percentage that we can afford that. So $100 was sort of the key that we've figured out that that's the amount that we can offset the shipping charges. I see. Interesting. Okay. And so, okay, I want to move a little bit about mindset because I really like the story of how you guys came back literally from rock bottom. Yes. And, and so have you heard of a blog called The School of Life? I don't know if you've heard of this. No, I haven't. Yeah. The School of Life. Yeah, it's, no. it's by this Indian guy that he's basically a surfer and he writes a blog about kind of like the parallels he sees in surfing in life. Yeah. And he has an article called The Power of Hitting Rock Bottom. His name is Srinivas Bao. And one of the sections yeah. he mentioned is that when you're at rock bottom, uh, you're really pushed out of your comfort zone. And that's when you can really take big risks yeah. and big goals. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, no, totally true. Totally true. I mean, you know, if you if you look back on our uh, journey in our story, um, you know, what you're able to do when, when you're, you know, back against the wall and it is amazing, you know, cause I mean, at the same time, you, there's sort of, you know, what else do you have to lose? You know? <laughs> so you, if you have that mindset, um, it's, it's powerful and it can really cause some dramatic uh, changes. And, and, you know, not saying all those changes are for the good, but, you know, you really find out what you're made of when, when your back's against the wall. Um, having that mindset that, that, you know, you just need to move forward and, you know, be, be thinking critically about every aspect of your business. And, you know, the problem is once you start to get a little bit successful and, and things start to go well, you can't lose that sort of that tenacity and that fire that you had, you know, um, and you can't get comfortable. So it's, it's, it's really important. Yes, you know, important when your back's against the wall, but when you start to grow, if you want to continue that push, it's important to have that, that same uh, mental attitude, you know. And so in your story, you sold the house, 13 people moved into a tiny apartment. I mean, what, did, what went on in your mind when people were telling you you were crazy? Oh, I mean, you know, it, it for me, it was, you know, it's either we're going to do this or we're going to have to, you know, all get jobs and try to make it work, you know. And um, I was in a unique situation because, um, you know, I'm the oldest son of my house. My dad ever got sick, which is what he did. For me, it was automatic that I would need to come home and try to try to, you know, support mom and, and take care of the kids, you know, just that's the way I was raised, you know, so I didn't think anything of it. I, I thought, okay, what moving forward would be our best option? You know, looking back at it now, I, I honestly think I was crazy. <laughs> if I would have known the amount of risk that I was taking, I'd probably, I'd probably not go, th you know, it, I, it probably would have really deterred me, but I think I was a little crazy enough and, and not know and just not educated enough in, in sort of what really could happen, what sort of should have happened without the right moves that, you know, I, I decided to go for it. And sometimes that's a good thing, you know, just, just going ahead and, and doing it. And, you know, I don't recommend it to everybody. You know, other people, I've heard stories of where, you know, they've done that and it hasn't been successful, you know, so um, there's a lot of things involved when taking that risk. Yeah, and there's certainly, back when you're back against the walls, you may overthink things too that could hinder your action taking also. Yes, oh man, uh, I, I really like the stories like, well, if you don't know what to do, just do something, you know, I, and I agree with that, you know, if, if you're really up against it and 
the worst thing you can do is just sort of start overthinking and, and not doing any action. If you don't know what way to go, just start going a way and then, you know, you'll figure out by, by going off and maybe even the wrong direction, you'll start hopefully figuring out what the right direction is. There's a mentor I have online who also has a podcast that he calls it the ready, fire, aim approach. Totally. No, I agree. Just start shooting from the hip. And you know, it's really funny. We, we, me and my sister say, wow, you know, we've had some really good intuition, <laughs> you know, and, and at the same time, now that we're growing to the next level, I'm finding that I do need to sort of change my philosophy a little bit and just start researching things fully before making moves um, because we're, we're at that stage to where we don't have to start taking all this risk everywhere. We, we can start say, taking some calculated efforts, which is great. You, know, you sort of have to say, okay, we're not in that role where we have to just go try to get every account that we can or you know, try to blast everything in every direction that we can to see what sticks. We're now into that stage where we can say, okay, let's take this calculated risk at these certain areas and grow the way we want to grow, which which is a good place to be in. I see. So it's no longer back against the wall. Let's do it. You're actually taking a more logical exactly. thought process. to. Okay, and so what are some other new products you're kind of thinking about? I mean, because certainly I'm sure you're going to keep pushing, you know, in this foods area, but what, are, are you going to expand beyond bars or what are you thinking about? Well, you know, we've, we've talked about that here recently. We have some more bars, like I mentioned, that we want to bring out. And then we're going to make sure that whatever we, we put to market, whether it be cookies, whether it be muffins, whatever, you know, that it follows our, our philosophy, that we don't deviate from the whole food concentrates as a nutrient source, from the good sweetener that's you know not artificial at all. So as long as we keep with our core philosophies, then I feel like then we can expand slowly. And I don't want to grow into 20, 30 products that are subpar. I make sure that my philosophy is if, if I make a product, it, it's got to be researched completely, it's got to taste good, and it's got to have a direct impact, and it's got to differentiate. So there's a lot of jumps it has got to jump through. And so that the consumer knows that if they are launching a new product, this is pretty darn good. And you just want to, you don't want to just expand for expansion's sake, too. No way, no way. It's got to be, it's got to have some functional benefits to the product, and it's got to differentiate it. You know, it. Um, you're exactly right. Don't expand for expansion's sake. Yeah, because you see a lot of big corporations do that, but really the consumer in this day and age is really sensitive to actually buying stuff they need or they actually yes. that supports their lifestyle. Well, I totally agree. And there's a lot of trust that comes with um, the consumer and the manufacturer, you know, and they they trust that okay, these guys aren't making that you know 15 new products a year; they're making one or two. So that product is is probably researched and, and it's done its due diligence. It's almost like you go into you know um, some of these bigger grocery stores where they do so much research on their products before they put it on the shelf. The consumer trusts that if it's on the shelf, it's got to be good. Yeah, like I believe Whole Foods website, they actually tell you which, where everything comes from, right? I've actually never been there, but I've heard it's very detailed. Oh, very, very strict set of guidelines, too, for all the products they put on the shelf. Yeah, exactly. And, I, and also, I, I guess in this day and age, it's very easy to find information at, whereas, you know, 20 years ago, you kind of just bought whatever was in the supermarket. You're exactly right. You know, you can research all the sourcing of different um products and um you know find out what you're really getting exactly so if it's my first time buying when i walk in the store what flavor should i try okay if i do you like peanut butter or almond butter you like cranberry probably almond or peanut one of those almond or peanut okay i would try the almond butter bar um it's it's a chunky almond with a sesame seed top 
and it is unlike any bar you've ever tried. It is absolutely delicious. I'd try that one, but I'd also pick up peanut butter because that's their best seller. A lot of people love the peanut butter. Um, and then, you know, I'd also pick up a cranberry crunch. It's a little bit more crunchy. Um, it's lighter in calories and it's more of a snack bar. So I saw on your Facebook page, you also go to events like the Del Mar Mud Race sporting events. Uh, what, what happens there when you guys are sampling? Yeah, those are those are fun events. We go to different, um, you know, uh, rock and roll marathons or uh, different community events or um, whatever it is nationwide. They have a ton of impact on the local um, consumers and, and just the local um, community. And we advertise at those events because if we're able to get sort of to the heart of the community and show handout samples and just bring a lot of goodwill, um, they're most likely going to go back to their local stores and start purchasing. You know, they'll they'll buy into um, what we're about, and it helps makes that makes that purchase decision. I see. So by going to these events, they're kind of pre-qualified. Exactly. Most likely. You know, the demographic's going to be athletic. You know, they're going to be people that um, like to go outdoors and are active. And, you know, they're the consumers that purchase bars. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And have you guys considered breaking into, like, gyms, too? or like? Oh, yeah. We have a number of gyms that we sell to nationwide. Absolutely. Gyms are great. You know, the, the biggest challenge with gyms is they, they usually don't have a cold distributor that ships to them. So you're talking about inventory. That's to where we have to actually skip the distributor process and sell directly to the gyms, which as a manufacturer, you'd rather sell a lot of large quantities. Um, but at the same time, we have a shipping center here to where we can ship small orders as well. I see. And so how does the shipping center work out in San Diego? I'm just kind of curious. It's tough. I, I'd much rather it be in the Midwest or somewhere a little bit more central where you're not traveling across the country. Um, you know, because for us to ship to the East Coast, it's, it's quite a journey. But um, by having the shipper in San Diego, it takes it increases our shipping cost tremendously. Um, the reason it's here with the factory is my family lives here, and um, oh, you know, so, and they're all handmade too. So. Yeah, so for the family to be a part of it, this is where it needs to be for right now. Yeah, and moving from San Diego to the Midwest, that's a very hard sell. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> extra costs you're totally right <laughs> yeah yeah you you would have to pay me so much more to move to the midwest <laughs> it's so have you been to san diego yes i'll actually be there in october so maybe uh, you know we can hey, grab a coffee well, yeah, or something so. absolutely if you're here i would love to take you on a factory tour sincerely seriously yeah, you should be awesome um let me know and um and you can go through the factory we'll go have lunch awesome all right so before we let you go where can we find you on the internet okay so you can go to perfect foodsbar.com that's perfectfoodsbar.com and that's the best place to you know research about our products and also you can go to a store locator if you're in the US and find the store nearest you okay alrighty thanks so much Bill I think that's it hey thanks Terry have a great day to get more information about running an online store visit our website at buildmyonlinestore.com there, you'll find articles, case studies, and tools to help you run a successful online store. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store podcast.